When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, Omega Squad returns to Coruscant to help root out a hidden terrorist cell. Will they be able to stop a cache of explosives from being smuggled off-world? It's Republic Commando Triple Zero by Karen Travis, the second book in the Republic Commando series. And returning to talk about the book is Kat. How are you today, Kat? I'm doing well. Hello, Legend Loungers. I'm so pumped to talk about this. Eek. Sounds like you like the book. So, so much. I just keep falling more and more deeply in love with these clones. And uh, I'm already angry that there's only five books. So whenever we first started this, I was like, oh, okay, coming off a 19-book series, five sounds solid. No, I could have another 19-book series now, so that's what the, <laughs> that's where we're at. <laughs> well, this is only the second time I've read these books, but I only read the first four. I have not read the fifth book, Imperial Commando, so wow. we're going to read that together. We're first-timers, yay! That's going to be epic, I can't wait. Oh, it's going to be fun. <laughs> Now, listener, Kat and I will talk about the continuing saga of Omega Squad and Etain, the Jedi Knight, in just a few minutes. But first, we have listener questions. We have two questions today. The first email comes from Luke. Luke says, is Star Wars just in one galaxy or can they fly to different galaxies? If so, are the galaxies based on a real galaxy or is it completely made up? If it is based on a galaxy, which galaxy is it based on? Does that mean Earth is in the Star Wars universe? Also, what term of measurement is used in a galaxy far, far away? I think it would be ironic if the Death Star was built in Imperial measurement. Well, Luke, prior to the Ahsoka television show, I would have said that Star Wars takes place in just one galaxy. But... If you watched Ahsoka, they traveled to another galaxy. So now we have a second one. They traveled to another galaxy to reach the planet Peridia. As far as is the galaxy based upon our own galaxy? Not really, other than the sense that every map I've ever seen of the galaxy is that it's a spiral galaxy, similar to the Milky Way, but that's the only similarity that I know of. There was a really weird one-off comic back in the late 70s, or I'm sorry, not late 70s, the early 80s, where Han Solo, Chewbacca, and the Millennium Falcon 
somehow made it to Earth. What? Han was what? Han was killed when they crashed. What? The ruins of the Falcon were discovered by Indiana Jones. Yes! Oh my god! And the crash landing happened in the Pacific Northwest. Chewie survived, and he was the impetus for the Bigfoot legend. Oh, for the love of Pete! I must read this comic immediately. It's fantastic. But Luke, that was just a crazy one-off comic. Uh, no, Earth is not in the Star Wars universe. And... As for your question about measurements in the Star Wars universe, as far as we know, they've always been spoken about in metric. Uh, kilometers, kilograms, liters, and then in the real big astronomical measurements, such as parsecs. So, thank you very much for the question. I definitely got some enjoyment out of that one. So thank you, Luke, very much. Yeah, you're going to have to find that. Han and Chewie come to Earth, crash land, Han's killed. It's investigated by back up. It's investigated by Indiana Jones and Chewbacca sneaks off into the Pacific Northwest woods and becomes the legend of Bigfoot. This absolutely sounds like it was just written by Harrison Ford. He was like, "Why? <laughs> Why not?" Maybe. I, I have personally never read the comic, but I know of its existence and I know, you know, the general story that goes on. It's pretty great. <laughs> Today's second email comes from Sam in Germany. He says, who do you believe to be the best duelist of the Clone Wars timeline? I personally believe Count Dooku to be it, but it's a close race with Plo Koon. Well, Kat, what do you think? Who is the best lightsaber duelist in the Clone Wars era? Come on, Sam. You really asked this question? You know the correct answer is Ahsoka. Because while we do have Anakin in his prime doing his thing, he just doesn't have the flair that Ahsoka has. I mean, she has two lightsabers. And she's just perfect. And, um... Yeah, I'm sorry to say that's the only correct answer. So uh, I guess we'll have to move on. Uh. <laughs> so I could see, you know, I can see that point of view. In the Clone Wars animated show, we see Ahsoka get into, what, two lightsaber duels with Grievous. She fights very briefly Asajj Ventress. Uh, the only time we really see her get defeated in a lightsaber duel is when she's jumped and startled by Barris Afi uh, when Barris frames her. So I could see that point of view. I think I'm going to agree with Sam. I think when you're just talking about a duelist, I would say it's probably Dooku. You know, he bests both Obi-Wan and Anakin in Attack of the Clones. He does it once, maybe twice in the Clone Wars cartoon. He bests Yoda in Attack of the Clones. But does he look good doing it, you know? He does have a flair. <laughs> I will say he does have a flair. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I'll agree with Sam, but I could see any number of people getting this yeah. answer. 
I mean, I could, I could definitely get on board with a lot. As long as we get like a great shot battle, I could, an argument can be made for just about anyone. I would say, other than the first time a younger Padawan Anakin of 19 gets his arm cut off by Dooku, does Anakin (laughs) lose a lightsaber duel in the prequel era? Yeah. Kind of go now. So I I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, you could take that question any number of ways. So. Thank you very much for the email, Sam. Thanks for generating the discussion. Now, listener, if you have a question for the show, like Luke and Sam, you can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And if you'd like to get your voice on the show, just record a short message and email it in. Just please record it in MP3 audio format. Coming up at the end of the show, Kat and I have a Star Wars character group and a Star Wars Mount Rushmore to read. So, stick around for that. But now, it's time for today's book. Republic Commando Triple Zero by Karen Travis. Grab yourself a drink. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins on Kamino, nine years before the onset of the Clone Wars. Cal Scarada is a Mandalorian gun-for-hire, one of a few Mandos picked by Jango Fett to help in training the Clone Army. Cal protects six young clones from being disposed of by the Kaminoans for being defective. They call the six clone ARC troopers the Nulls, a group who are very independent and constantly break the rules. Skarada decides to raise the boys as his sons and show them the ways of the Mandalorian culture while also preparing them for war. We jump forward to present day to find Omega Squad trying to gather intel about a recent bombing on Coruscant. Omega raids a Separatist cargo ship and takes three suspects into custody, but in the raid, their ship is destroyed and the cargo ship is damaged. Now, Omega Squad finds itself stranded on the Separatist freighter, with life support systems running out. Soon, help arrives. It's Delta Squad, another group of clone commandos, trained by a different Mandalorian, Wallen Vow. Delta Squad is a group of brutal clones, Boss, Sev, Fixer, and Scorch, trained by a brutal man. Delta Squad rescues Omega, and the suspects and transports them all back to Coruscant. On Coruscant, Skurata meets with Jedi General Arligan Zay. The two discuss how they can find a Separatist terrorist cell operating near Galactic City. Skurata says that if Zay gives him a few good men and free reign with the investigation, they'll find the cell and destroy it. Zay is reluctant at first, but finally agrees after Skurata tells him how much he cares for the clones and their well-being. Using the information Val gets from interrogating the suspects Omega brought back with them, Skurata comes up with a plan. Omega and Delta squads, along with Jedi General Barden Jusik, will surveil the locations the terrorist cell is using while Null Captain Ordo investigates a possible traitor in the Republic Treasury Department. Before he can put the plan into action, Skarada needs the clone commandos to play nice. Omega and Delta squads don't like each other. 
Delta believes they're one of the most elite squads in the entire Galactic Army of the Republic because they are one of the few squads that have never suffered any casualties. Omega is the opposite, composed of four clones who are the only survivors of their original squads. That includes Atin, a commando trained by Val, although abused may be a better description. Skarada decides to put one member of each squad together for their surveillance shifts. Finally, new Jedi Knight Etain Termukan arrives to round out the team. Before they begin the investigation, Skarada informs everyone that this mission is completely off the books. They will not be taking people into custody. Their job is to find the cell and exterminate it. Black Ops can be very boring, with hours and days of boring stakeouts and data collection. But it allows Itain and Darman time to talk about their feelings for each other and share some alone time. Skirata notices them and pulls Itain aside at one point to make sure she understands the expectations she is giving to Darman by distracting him. She says that she is in all the way for Darman and the rest of the clones. Etain hates that the only thing that clones can look forward to is dying on the battlefield. She decides that she wants to give Darman a future, a chance to have a family, and a real life outside of fighting. A few days into the investigation, Phi, Sev, and Barden find one of the cells at a warehouse. Instead of following orders and calling in what they found, they decide to follow a member of the cell, only to find themselves followed by a different group of criminals. They quickly grab the woman they're following and flee. Barden uses the force to evade their pursuers, and the group makes its way back to the safe house. They give the woman to Val for questioning. He finds out that she works in the Republic Logistics Department and that there are more officials involved with the Separatists. Convinced he's gotten everything the woman knows, Val executes her, tying up the loose end. Skirata and Ordo come up with a plan. Ordo will smuggle the explosives out of the Republic Logistics office that the woman and her compatriots plan to steal. Skirata will then pose as a Mandalorian arms dealer and try to sell the explosives to the terrorists. Barden doses the explosives with a new age tech that tags every member of the cell who handles the packages. That allows the team to follow movements of the terrorists to find where their stronghold is. The squad finds that there are multiple meeting spots throughout the Galactic City area where the cell members meet. Skarada enlists the help of the Coruscant Security Police to track down most of these locations, but plot out specific targets for the Black Ops team to take out. While following one of the targets, Ordo spots the woman that Val had interrogated and killed only days before. The team confronts her, but they discover it's not the same woman. It's Janart, the Gerlanan who helped Etain and Omega Squad on Quilara. Janart tells Etain that the Jedi Order did not uphold its promise to remove the human colonists from Quilara. Now, She's on Coruscant to steal information that will help free her planet. Janart agrees to help the Black Ops team and convince her people from joining the Separatists 
as long as the Republic agrees to remove all the humans from Kilara within the year. General Zay agrees to Janart's terms, and the team plans their final attack on the terrorists. Skirata and Barden travel to a warehouse to deliver the rest of the explosives. They help the Separatists load the packages on a hover truck and then signal Ordo. Then the Black Ops team attacks. Ordo leads Sev, Niner, Boss, Darman, and Scorch into the warehouse. Skirata and Barden follow, dodging blaster fire left and right. The terrorists put up a fight, but they're no match for clone commandos in full armor. The team wipes out most of the Separatists, but one member of the cell escapes. Etain and Vow track the man down and kill him. Following the battle, the team returns to the safe house. Finally, Atin confronts Vow, vowing to kill his old instructor, the man responsible for the scars on Atin's face and arms. What was Atin's crime? He survived the Battle of Geonosis while the rest of his squad was killed. It was the only squad trained by Val that did not survive the battle intact. Barden breaks up the fight, using the Force to fling the two combatants to opposite ends of the room. Following the altercation, the uneasy alliance between Omega and Delta crumbles. The commandos form their squads up and head out for their next assignments. The story ends with Etain talking to Skirata. Etain tells him that she is pregnant with Darman's child. Etain says she wants her child to be raised like a Mandalorian, like his father, instead of like a Jedi. Skirata is not fully on board, but agrees to keep the pregnancy a secret for now, and says he will help Etain in any way he can. But Skirata says that after she gives birth, Etain must give him the baby. He'll protect the baby, teach it all about Mandalorian culture, tell Darman only when it's safe. His words stun Etain, but Skirata tells her that that's his price for keeping her pregnancy a secret. Time to take a break. When we return, we'll talk more about Republic Commando Triple Zero. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But let me take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Padawan is the story of young Obi-Wan Kenobi's first solo mission. Determined to win the approval of his master, Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan tries to help a group of young people on a strange, dangerous planet. Can Obi-Wan save the teens before the planet destroys them? Find out in Padawan by Kirsten White. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today Kat and I are talking about Republic Commando Triple Zero by Karen Travis, the second book in the Republic Commando series. Now, Kat, we'll talk about the big news at the end of the book here in just a second, but I want to get your overall thoughts on the book first off. How did this reading experience 
compare to the first book in the series that we did two weeks ago? I think Karen does an excellent job of telling these stories and giving us different facets of the clones. We get to see uh, different um, points of view in this book. We get to hear from Fi, which I loved getting to hear from him. And we also get to hear from Ordo. And um, we get a lot of different perspectives. And they all feel very real and very lived in. Um, we had kind of seen Fi from the outside. And so being able to be inside his head and kind of see the evolution in his thoughts of everyone needs to have a good time right now. I'm going to be the person that needs to provide that. I don't also have to be having a good time to be able to provide that. Excellent job with his character. He seems depressed. He seems like he's yeah. really depressed. He sounds like a comedian that we get a lot of times that we don't hear about all the struggles that they have, but they're going to get out on that stage and they're going to turn it into laughter and they're going to hide all of that pain. He absolutely sounds like he should be seeing a counselor, which is what we take away from most of these books. The story of Omega Squad, even by the second book, is starting to expand. We have a number of new characters in this story. We get Cal Scarada's point of view. We get Ordo's point of view. I love them as characters. They're very interesting. Scarada is a sergeant that's basically ordering generals around, ordering <laughs> Jedi around. You know, he's enlisted, but he's ordering the officers around. He's basically doing whatever he wants to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Big his time dad vibes. Exactly. And his nulls, specifically Ordo, Ordo does whatever he wants to. He just does it within the structure of the galactic, sorry, the Grand Army of the Republic. I always want to say Galactic Army of the Republic. I don't know why. I think I may have said that when we were doing the synopsis early on, but it's the Grand <laughs> Army of the The G-A-R. Everyone knows what I'm talking yeah, about when I say the G-A-R. Yeah. <laughs> Did you like these new characters that we were introduced to? Oh, yeah. I had a lot a lot of fun to get into Scarada's point of view and Ordo was definitely an interesting character as well. I definitely like getting as many different uh, facets of being a clone as I can. And so getting not only Ordo's perspective and a bit about Fi as well, but also getting into the head of the man that trained them in Cal Scarada that was something unexpected, and I really, really enjoyed it because we got a lot of kind of Mandalorian lore turned to fighting for the Grand Army tactics. So it was a very interesting perspective to get. And again, I, I think the author did a really good job of telling that story of he was trying to be a father, and it was not always easy, and he had a tough time with it, but he did it and these all of these clones these um nulls and omega squad are just falling over themselves to try and um show themselves that they can they can be the the man that Skarada trained them to be and this is his second chance we learn in his backstory 
that his family has disowned him. His sons have declared him that he is no longer their father. So legally, all he has left is a daughter that he hasn't seen in more than a decade. So the Nulls and then the different commando squads that he trained, Omega being one of them, they're like his second chance at, like you said, being fathers to sons. Did you feel like that story felt pretty resonant, that they, that the author did a good job with it? Or kind of how did you feel about that aspect? Oh, sure. I think Karen Travis is an excellent author. I think she writes very well. I'm in the military, and even some of the military parts of the book that she writes are a little complex, a little confusing. <laughs> you know, sometimes there were discussions going on. I'm like, wait a minute, what is happening here? Yes, I was kind of like that at the beginning a little bit. That I was, yeah. Where, where are they at? Who's, who's flying what? <laughs> I mean, so many acronyms. Yeah, at least once yes. you got to spell out what the acronym means. At least once. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. She went a little hard on those for sure. <laughs> but as I said before, the story is growing. This story is much more complex in the interactions between the clones. Delta and Omega do not like each other. I love seeing the dynamic between the two squads. Mm -hmm. I think that was really good. Yeah, I agree. And it just, it it felt like uh, the overall plot for this story, um, the espionage part of it, really gave room for those character moments that you're talking about. If it was some kind of, like, big heist or them trying to come together like they did in the first book, it doesn't leave room for as many of these um, moments between the squads and small conversations that they're having with each other. And even the points where um, Jusik is, is coming in and showing his uh, love for the Mandalorians and love for the clones. And, you know, it, it's really kind of, this book has a lot of like a plot, C plot, but like the G plot is Barden also trying to low-key be a clone. And it's so cute. Like, he just wants to be Cal's son at the end of the day. Yeah, he loves Skirata, too. If he had his druthers right now, he would leave the Jedi Order and become Skirata's son. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, it's, again, so interesting. We're getting these different points of view, even from these Jedi who, you know, in in the realm that, like, Jusik and and Itain may see each other at, um, some meetings here and there, but that they're put on the same squad where they feel like more family than they've ever had through the Jedi Order is crazy. And so uh, great that they've gotten a part of this family. It just kind of shows how good this family is to be a part of. What did you think of the squads talking about the differences between how Skarada trained his commandos with how Val trained his commandos, which, of course, includes Delta Squad and Atin. Yeah. I mean, Val was definitely doing it for results. And if we're looking at results, he's the better trainer, only because his squads stay alive. But it's because they're almost under psychological threat of doing so. They're terrified of him. 
Yeah. They're terrified yeah. of him. Exactly. They don't love him the way Skarada's troops love Skarada. Correct. But Skirata Val's troops them... see that as a weakness. Yeah. Yeah. Skarada gave his troops, like, the war is so that you and others can live afterwards. And Val gave his troops, this is your life. And you will do nothing else. You will think nothing else. You will be nothing else. He scooped out their personalities, whereas Skarada kind of encouraged their personalities to make them better soldiers. Neither side wants to let their instructor down. But I think Val instilled a mindset in his troops that if they somehow failed... That shows Val as a failure, and he will not accept that. You know, we get allusions to the fact that he tortured these troops when they were kids. And the one thing we know is that's how Atin got his scars. That's how he got his scar on his face. That's how he got his scars on his arms and his chest because he survived the Battle of Geonosis when his squad was wiped out. But that was the only squad that Val lost. And Val sees Atin as a traitor because he came back. You should have died with your squad. You left those men. Even though he didn't, Right. But that's the mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's deplorable. I mean, his character and the, the fact that he has this creepy little creature that walks around with him all the time and he just dotes on and you can tell he loves and he doesn't let it touch the ground whenever its leg gets a little burnt or some hair singed off. Like, it's such a strange... And honestly, like, telling of his character that he's put these clones outside of the realm of these are creatures that I have to care for. These are just machines that I'm training, not anything with a soul or a mind or anything like that. Versus he has this creepy little creature that, like, has wings, people, that he loves and cares for and will do anything for and like wipes its mouth off whenever there's milk. It's such a strange juxtaposition. And like you can tell this man is deeply, deeply disturbed. So compare that to the love that Skarada feels for his troops and the love that they show him calling him father, Cal Buir, father Cal, Papa Cal. It's completely different. And underneath the Black Ops mission that they're doing to weed out this terrorist cell, underneath all that, Skarada is having his nulls, led by Ordo, trying to set up an escape plan for the clones for the end of the war 
We didn't really touch on that because it's just underneath everything. But it really shows how much he loves these boys. Yeah, the fact that he is behind the scenes, behind the scenes of this already secret operation, putting together this escape plan and trying to basically find some Kaminoans and get some information about how to um, get the clones a longer life and a better life is even like I could not love Skorata more. And then he does one more thing. And it's pretty awesome. Yeah, he's tra- he's trying character. to find a way to stop the accelerated aging process of the clones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's awesome. And I think that's kind of why he has a problem with Etain in the pregnancy. Is she is she's not grasping that right now, Darman doesn't have much of a life past ten, twenty years at max anyway so giving him that taste of life and then taking it away feels almost crueler but she's trying to do the same thing that Skarada is doing in giving him a legacy they're just going about it in different ways well let's talk about it I was gonna hold off for just a little bit but let's talk about it I can't (laughs) at the end of the story Etain tells Skarada that she's pregnant and being a force user, she's convinced that it's a boy. She's giving Darman a boy as part of his future. Skarada does not take the news well, does he? Yeah, badly. Badly, badly, badly. But, like, I I get it. His, his point, I get what he's saying to attain... And I'm almost on board with it because she took that choice away from Darman a bit. She was definitely plotting before they started making out or whatever else makes a baby that she was like, I'm going to give this man a life and I'm going to save one clone by creating a legacy. And so she was again... Like Skarada said, a Jedi was making a decision without anybody else's say-so. And it brings up a whole lot of questions. One, what's the Jedi Order going to do? Two, Darman is a clone with accelerated aging. Is any of that going to get passed on to the baby? Three... If Darman learns that Etain is pregnant, how's he going to be effective in the field? He's going to be obsessed with getting back to her, thinking about being a father. He's He's got to keep his head on straight because these commandos do the most dangerous missions that the GAR has. For just military discipline and Skarada does mention it an officer and enlisted person are not supposed to have a relationship together what are the other clones going to think and we get a little bit with Ordo because Ordo overhears the conversation Ordo learns that Etain is pregnant as well so I, I, I don't know how to describe it on one hand 
I can see Attain's point of view that these clones really have nothing to live for. I'm going to give Darman something to live for. But she didn't think it through. There are so many issues. And like you said, one of the biggest ones is she didn't give Darman a choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She absolutely... Like, obviously he knows how babies work and whatnot. But, but they never had a conversation beforehand. She just right. made up her mind, I'm going to yes. give this man a baby. Yeah. Without absolutely. asking him if he wanted to be a father. Right, right. Like, <laughs> even Skarada's like, where are you planning on having this baby? How are you planning on hiding this from anybody? Because that's not how babies work. And she says, oh, I'll just go away and have an accelerated pregnancy. I know that K2 is listening to this episode and she's yelling at the, like, this accelerated pregnancy thing because it is so strange and I don't like it. But I'm going to ignore that science. It's fine. Well, <laughs> remember, alone. it's not science. It's the force. And like I've said before... There are no hard and fast rules with the Force. It Aaron, basically does whatever the plot needs it to do. Aaron, the minute she conceives, she also knows it's a boy? How does that work? <laughs> That's not the point. Okay, okay, okay. Anyway, anyway. She has this plot that she's going to go away for a couple of months and have a baby and nobody will be the wiser. And Skarada's like, okay, but the point of having the baby is to have that baby in your arms and then raise it with Darman. So again, I ask, where? Who? What? When? The war is still going on. You're still a general. Are you going to be standing on the front lines with a baby on your hip pointing (laughs) at, at her troops to go attack something? Right, exactly. Like, she did not have... Again, she could have just given her love and, like, her relationship as the present for Darman, as giving him something to live for. But, nope, she had to take it a step further, which, like Skarada says, Jedi don't pay attention to the rules that affect other people they just do whatever they do because it feels right in the force and attain is very very sure that this is what the force wants her to do and maybe it is but the force doesn't give her the answer for how to deal with the jedi council how to deal with the rest of the government it it has to be more than just the force it has to be the jedi also wielding the force who has to make that decision oh you you know mace windu and Yoda are not going to be happy. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a crapshoot. It is not going to go well. I uh, I'm actually looking forward to it, but like, not for Attain, for anybody else in that room. But uh, I do think that Skarada has the best solution for this, in that he tells Attain, "Look, we have to do this my way because." Again, I just pointed out all the things you didn't think of, so I'm going to try and fix this as best as I can, but that means you have to give me full control of the situation, i.e. you have that kid and you hand him over, because Skarada, while technically in the army, can leave whenever he wants. Yeah, and- he's pretty much already shown he does whatever he wants anyway. I think General right. Zay knows that when Skarada's had enough, Skarada's just leaving. Exactly, exactly. Which they all but told him in the beginning anyway, so he's kind of always had that chip on his shoulder. And he also, so far, has had, like, 
an excellent rate of A, turning out great commandos, and B, getting missions done. So this is just another one that he's like, okay, I'm taking this on, and I know that I can leave this army whenever I want and not have a whole complex of the Jedi Council mad at me or the guard trying to execute me or X, Y, and Z. So Darman and Attain, though, is not the only romance, clone romance, we get in this story. We have a couple budding romances between Captain Ordo and a Treasury Department investigator, Agent Bassani Wesson, and a teen catches the eye of a waitress, a Twi'lek, in the bar that they frequent, much to the chagrin of Phi, because Phi thought she was giving him some eyes. But it turns out she she had more of an eye for a teen. So you're starting to get a few, uh, as I said, budding romances here in this story for the clones. It's almost like this book was made for me because I was like, look, this action is great. All of these backstories are fantastic, but where is the romance? And they brought it. And I and I think, again, they feel like Ordo is such a um, by-the-book kind of guy. And it kind of seems like Baseni Wesson is as well, um, except for the fact that she also has a brain. So, in the fact that she definitely has a problem with this war and she definitely has a problem with how the clones came about and how they're being used and kind of uh, on the same track as uh, Skarada as how do the Jedi live with this decision? So just like you said, like little layers here and there that we're pulling back that not everybody is on board with this whole clone Republic situation and they, are all coming at it from uh, slightly different angles, and uh, it's fun. And one thing, listener, you have to remember when we talk about these budding relationships, this is one aspect of life that the clones have never been taught. Skarada and Val and any of their other instructors on Kamido never told them about romantic relationships. All of their training is how to make war. Yeah, especially you see that a lot with uh, a teen and his interactions. He's like, she's she's looking at me. She's paying attention to me. Like, why is she she's lingering? It's so. It's very interesting to see these the back and forth of this is a man at war and this is a boy in love and what a fun dynamic that is to play with. Unfortunately, to end this discussion on just a little bit of a down note, while Darman, Ordo, Atin, things are looking up for them, Phi is envious of his brothers. He sees what other humans have. He sees their lives on Coruscant, their families, and he sees what's possible for his clone brothers, but it seems like he's resigned to the fact that it won't ever happen for him. Even though he's the same age as Darman and Atin. Ordo is about a year older, but 
even though he's the same age, he's resigned to the fact that he's never going to have what Darman has with Attain the Jedi and his brother Atin is having with the Twi'lek wait- waitress, even though they've only been together for a couple weeks. Right, right, exactly. It's. I think that he is very much in the mentality of we were created to die for this war so we should never take a day for granted we should know that any day is going to be our last a lot of times they try to have interactions like it might be their last and i think that he more than the others kind of clings to that so he's thinking that if i don't have you know somebody flirting with me a love interest some other kind of life right now then i don't see it happening and like you said earlier that is definitely leading to his depression that is not helping it at all he's just kind of spiraling into that the scene where he thought the twi'lek waitress was flirting with him and then after about a page she asks if his brother atin is coming in Hmm. heartbreaking oh that was a that was a tough page to read i felt for fi in that situation Yeah. yeah that was real real hard because i think most human beings on the planet have experienced something like that and uh it feels too close to home and just you know his because he's all in it right Uh, we as the readers can see some signs and had already seen her interest in atin but he's not reading those signs until it's too late and you're just like Bye, you're going to get there. We love you so much, buddy. Don't give up, man. There's plenty of women out there. Don't give up. You've only been on the dating scene, five for about two weeks. (laughs) Two weeks. Exactly. Other than that, you've just been shooting at everybody. Somebody points you in front of. Like, (laughs) you are going to get there, buddy. You are. (laughs) So as we wrap up this story, what do you hope to see? What do you expect to see? in the next book, True Colors. Oh, man. Hopefully some more uh, from Scarada and the Knolls, uh, tracking down that Kaminoan scientist, seeing some more of that. Um, Etain and whatever the heck is going to happen with her and her ridiculous pregnancy. I don't know if I'm looking forward to it, but... <laughs> so, listener, one thing we didn't talk about in the summary... Cal Scarada tells Etain that while she's pregnant, he's sending her with Janart back to Kilura in order to kind of stay out of the limelight. But the human colonists have yet to be taken off Kilura. So she's at least going to be there with some clone troopers until those colonists have been removed from the planet she's still going to be a general in charge of troops she's just going to be on a planet that i guess there aren't as many people around well and i think that there's not as like good communication with that planet they had said at one point that communications in and off that planet are not great anyway and especially if they're trying to take all of that equipment or colonists off that planet you know, her and Janart had always, you know, had a good enough relationship and she does want to make things right. She was the one who initially promised, hey, we'll get these people off your planet. So who knows? You know what I would do? I would, when I showed up, I would let Janart or one of the other Gerlannans stand in front of me 
turn into me and then I would go into hiding. There you go. Solid. But see, that would be smart, Aaron. And Attain is not in to making smart decisions. And uh, I, I still love her deep down inside, but I'm worried for this girl. So I'm really hoping the next one, they're like, yep, she has the baby. They work it all out. And it's sunshine and rainbows because after that is Order 66. And I'm devastated already. Oh my god, wait. I just remembered that Order 6. Oh my god, I'm not ready for the. Oh my god, I'm not ready. Never mind. I just remembered. What's going to happen? Oh no. What's oh no. going to happen? I'm not saying this is what happens because I've read the books and I don't want to spoil anything for it. But I'm sure you can see the scene in your head Darman standing in front of Etain when Palpatine issues. Order 66. My brain just broke, listeners. I'm, I'm not going to be able to continue. Oh, no. I hadn't put the pieces together until right now on air. I'm terrified now. I take back everything I said. Attain, run. Run. We'll leave it there. We have two more books before we get to Order 66. Uh, we've got True Colors and then Order 66 coming right up after that, so... We'll leave the speculations for there. And but, leave Kat in a puddle. Yep. Of her own just feet. keep picturing it. Just keep picturing it. Stop. Cruel, Aaron. Cruel what you've done to me. <laughs> so before we wrap this up, we do have a few more messages from the listeners. First, we have a Star Wars character grouping to share from Sam. Sam wanted to create a squad of non-Force sensitive characters who he thinks could defeat most of the Force users in the saga. Sam's squad features a number of bounty hunters and Mandalorians. That squad is Cad Bane, Boba Fett, Pre Vizsla, Jango Fett, Embo, and Ara Singh. That's a great squad, Sam. Thanks for sharing that with us. A, a number of those you listed there we know of that had defeated Force users. So... I think you're onto something. I think that squad could defeat almost any as long as it was like a attacking one at a time. I don't think they could beat a group of force users, but if all six were to surround one, I think yeah, they could defeat them. Our second list comes from Marcus, who went to LegendsCon back in September. Marcus says he got to speak with Matthew Stover and asked him about writing some of the most insightful books in Legends. Marcus, that is really cool. I've read a little bit about the events that took place in LegendsCon. It sounds like it was a really great convention, and it was, it was really cool that you got a chance to attend. Don't worry, we'll we'll get there one day. It might be 10, 15 years down the line, but we're going to make it, Aaron. Dang it, okay? Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> Marcus included his Mount Rushmore of Star Wars Legends authors in his email. They are Timothy Zahn, James Lucino, Matthew Stover, and Michael Stackpole. Marcus also included the songs he thought would be on Count Dooku's mixtape. <laughs> Love this so much. Tycho Shuffle by Jeff Van Dyke. Dooku's mastery of the lightsaber is captured by the rhythm and power in this song. Wazaway by Kiyoshi Yoshida. Dooku's majesty 
is captured by the grand nature of this song. Teardrop by Massive Attack, featuring Elizabeth Fraser. Dooku's life was tragic. His many trials, successes, failures, and regrets are all captured in this haunting song. Wow. Thanks a lot for those lists, Marcus, and thanks again for the message about Legends Con. Now, listener, if you have a character group that you'd like to share, like Sam did, or if you have a Mount Rushmore or mixtape, like Marcus did, you can send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And of course, you can always send in any questions you'd like me to try to answer on the show. Kat, it's time to wrap up. Thanks again for joining me today. Thank you so much. I, uh, I'm going to stop reading the books right here because I'm happy in this moment and uh, I can't handle any more heartbreak. But also, I'm going to keep reading. I can't help it. I love these clones so much and I really appreciate you asking me on to read these because I enjoy talking about them with you so much. If listeners would like to contact you or if they'd like to listen to your podcast with Jay, Animated Antics, how can they do that? Yeah, so uh, you can find Animated Antics on uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, a couple of different places. Uh, our last episode was on X-Men, the animated series, and that was right before we got the news that they are coming out with the new X-Men series, uh, 97. So I'm pretty excited uh, to see that in action. But we also talk about a lot of uh, Star Wars content because we can't help it and we wish we were in a galaxy far, far away all the time. So you can find us on, you know, any of the platforms, Animated Antics Pod. Uh, you can find us on Twitter uh, at J and Cat one And then I'm at Cat with a K Delancey uh, on Twitter or anything else. So, Coming up on the next episode, Cat and I will talk about the third book in the series, Republic Commando, True Colors by Karen Travis. We'll hear all about Attain's six-month pregnancy. Kat, is there anything you're hoping to see in that book? Maybe nothing to do with the pregnancy. Just, just, just skip to the baby is born. I don't want to know. I just don't even know how to. <laughs> it's fine. Well, you can look forward to that episode coming out on March 8th. And here's something else, listener. If you want to hear more from me, check out the Star Lores podcast. Jordan and Christian had me on as a guest on their February 20th episode. We talked all things legends, and I had a really fun conversation. So please, listener, give their podcast a listen. Thank you very much for joining us today on the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in legends.